The following podcast is a production of Mosaic in Whittier, California, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. You know, this, this is remarkable right off the bat because uh, inviting someone to eat with you is in, in that time, that kind of a culture and mindset was a very intimate way of of connecting with somebody, you know, especially when people ate. <clears throat> uh, by the way, I love the notion that they ate laying down, you know. So you just, yeah, recline, just put your mouth to the edge of the table, ah, just shove it right in, right? Why waste time with a fork in the distance, just, you know? And, and, and it was the concept that, you know, when people would dip their food, have you noticed that there's a, like a tortilla everywhere in every culture? That, you know, kind of some kind of pita bread flat or something. It's a tortilla. And, um, so they would dip the tortilla into the whatever it might be, and so it was the sense that the food that's nourishing your body is also nourishing mine. There's a bond, right? So, and, and Pharisees get a bad rap in the scriptures. That They were not all bad guys. A lot of them were, in many ways, men who wanted to do the right thing and believed that, um, that having a, a code that they followed is what kept the nation pure and themselves pure. And so any, any kind of de- deviation from that was people were aggressively violent and acting against that. Um, in fact, if you read in the book of Acts uh, during Pentecost and, and Acts 15 and other places, a lot of the believers, the first followers of Jesus, openly, actively were Pharisees. So here's a man who recognizes something about this young man named Jesus and invites him to the house for dinner. And he gets more than what he expected. Now, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So the men are eating, and here's a woman who's, you know, the local tramp, local slut, or maybe she did for money, and she's off to the side uh, crying and drying um, Jesus' feet. Awkward, right, to say the least. And no one's saying anything. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, gosh, if this guy only knew who's touching his feet, you know, that she's such a sinner. So Jesus is dialed in in a way that some of us are not, right? Most of us are not. And so she goes, oh, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, uh, a place of respect. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender, and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? And, and of course he could physically see her, right? So, you know, you have to figure there's always a question behind the question. <clears throat> so he says, do you see this woman? Do you, you kind of understand maybe her story, the context, who she is as a person, Um, That sort of thing, right? Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, a normal custom, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has perfumed, poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? 
And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's, um, uh, you know, I was kind of processing this story the past couple of weeks. And uh, two, three weeks ago, uh, while I was thinking about this particular talk or this topic, I decided to, you know, do my research. And so I ordered from Netflix, cheap, shameless plug, that uh, four or five documentaries on forgiveness. And so people who were either victims or the victims' families of the Rwanda genocide, people who were uh, victims or victims' families of 9-11's bombing, um, uh, uh, parents of murdered children. I mean, there was just a gamut of individuals who all told their stories of their experience with forgiveness. Or, in some cases, their refusal to forgive, which was interesting to watch as well. And so I, I also had a conversation with a friend who... Um, we were back and forth talking about this topic and, you know, how does it apply? To, how much of it is an emotional, mental, uh, you know, uh, exercise? How much of it is something we just have to sort of will ourselves into doing? How much of it is a mystical, supernatural act of God that helps us to forgive those who have wounded us? Now, um, I, I, this is not going to be the talk of you should forgive because I don't think that's a mystery to us, Right? And, and that's the easiest thing for anybody who sits in a spiritual community to, to do. You don't do this enough. You should do this, that kind of thing. Right? So I'll tell you my story, which is not stellar. It's just, you know, my story. And I'll embellish it, it, it so I come out looking like a hero anyways. But the point is that uh, uh, I'll tell you my story with this. And, and then I'll, I'll think, hopefully you'll be able to see some principles that come out because I saw them in all of the stories of these people. First of all, on July 2nd, 2004, it was a gorgeous day here in Whittier. In fact, it was a beautiful day, and that's when my father died. When I got the phone call from my brother, hey, our dad died, instinctively, without even thinking, I said, oh, I'm sorry for your loss. Because in my mind, he, had, he was dead to me. In fact, that phrase got to be so part of my language that it was even the way I would joke with people that they, quote, disappointed me in some level. No, you're dead to me. You know, so don't screw up. You know, uh, you're dead to me. And, um, and a lot of it had to do, there's, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of years of context with this, but it started with uh, such negative, powerful experiences that it, you know, it was a process of, of hurt to anger to contempt so that that person essentially, while living, is dead to you. You follow? So, I mean, as a child, I remember, you know, getting beat up by my dad. In fact, one of the memories I, I had that, that reminded, that, that I knew as a young adult that something is still wrong, something is still not resolved, was the, the, the picture of his fist coming right to my face. And I remember seeing the ring on his finger, because I have the same name, so I would see the initials, OCM, whoosh, you know. I can kind of joke of it now, but I can tell you honestly, back then at nine years old, there's, I can't think of anything a, a small boy that could do that deserves to be beat like a dog from a grown man. And so there's hurt. You're, you're a child. How do you process your dad you know, beating the crap out of you? And so as you get older, you begin to think in terms of, of um, well, you, know, you begin to see your parents with their warts and all. And so some of that anger, some of that hurt morphs into anger. Like, yeah, you're not that great. How could you have done something, you know, so crummy? And, and so in 1979, when I married my wife, my father uh, left my mom for a, a younger woman and seeing the collateral fall out of that. So everything about my father's life in my mind was total, you know, BS, 
right? I mean, if someone tries to tell you how you should live your life ethically, with integrity, and they're not able to keep their pants on, you, know, you, th- you kind of lose your moral credibility. You follow? So, um, so I, I, you know, I was, how old was I? 22, maybe? Yeah, 22. I got married at 21, then we turned 22. And, um, and I remember thinking at that moment, uh, I, I was lying in bed with Lilia. I, I was actually caught off guard, but I was still weeping over the fact that my father left because it felt like he had left me, this guy that I hated. And then I hated myself for hating the fact that I hate that I was crying. You, you, get, those, you get those moments? I'm absolutely a girl in this moment. You know, I'm absolutely... Pro- <laughs> Mascara was running. You know, it was just... <sighs> the strap was coming off the shoulder. It was Saturday. Come on. So... Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'll tell you a secret. That I'm going to be totally naked here, metaphorically. That, uh, that humor is my defense when I feel that emotion coming back up. Like some of you. So, uh, and uh, what I could not even process as a narcissistic 21-year-old was that my mom across the street was, in, was at home in her bedroom, lying in bed, knowing her husband was in some other bed. And because I was just processing my own mess. Life goes on, had my children, and, uh, you know, there was... There was just a number of, of well, uh, some of you come from a family like this, you know, where it's fractured. A- every holiday is weird, isn't it? Look at how many heads we're nodding right now. Good night. You guys are all a big mess. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask to be moved to a different campus. Uh, so uh, <laughs> so if, if, you know, if dad was coming, mom wouldn't come. If mom was coming, then dad couldn't be, you know, that whole thing. You almost have to do things twice, Right? And, and uh, so it just adds a whole level of weirdness. And then, you know, my sons as, and my daughter growing up are asking, so why do I have two grandmothers? She's not your mom. She's not your grandmother. There's no blood, you know. There's nothing. We have no connection with that woman. That, you know, that whole thing. Not angry, though. Not bitter. Because if you would have asked me, hey, are you, are you okay with your dad? Yeah, he's just dead to me. I mean, you know, it was like, you follow? It would be, I would, could not think in my head that there was something that he still had a connection to me. Now, here's what, one thing I want to tell you right off the bat. Some of you, as women or as men, as, excuse me, as girls or young boys, you have had such a god-awful, horrible, negative experience with people that it's actually tied you to that individual, and you still carry that crap around. It's like you're tied soul to soul with somebody. And, and I'm, because I, I mean, I, I, some of you have told me, some of you have given me your emails, some of you have told me your stories, I know. You know, whether it's something that was, uh, uh, you know, in a physical molestion sort of way or an anger thing or, you know, maybe your parents were angry one day and, you know, they, they, were, not them, they were not at their best and they said, God damn you, I wish you weren't even born. And, man, that just went right into your soul and it's, it's there. And, and so, it, so, because if people mean a lot to you, that's the thing about loving somebody or having your heart, especially when you're tender and you're young, you don't know how to process, you know, powerful negative experiences or negative emotions. It just, it just latches on and you don't know what to do with it. In fact, you don't even know that there's something that just happened. And then you begin to think, I, I kind of deserve this. I have this coming. Because that's how I used to think. It's still sort of sometimes somewhere like, almost like a deficit, deficit, you know, concept that I used to operate from. So that if something went wrong at work, at home, with friends, there was that sense of, oh, yeah, well, yeah, I'm not a good person, or I'm not a, you know, you follow? 
Because if your dad beats the crap out of you, you can't be worthwhile. So along the way, there was a voice of, of, uh, of reason and I would say even of God that would say, you should reach out to your father. What for? Now here's the thing that makes it even worse at some level. I'm, I'm a carbon copy of my dad. We look alike. We have the same physical stature, uh, the same personality. Uh, I mean, if you, if you had known my father and, and you saw me, oh my gosh, you're totally your father's son. And I didn't like that. Because I go, I am not that guy. I'm not that guy. I remember once uh, I was coming out of the bathroom, uh, one of the few times, I don't wear pajamas. I'm, 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 I know it sounds like, kind of like a weird thing to say. I don't wear them. Like, I mean, I wear something else. I just don't wear pajamas, you know. And I had put on a pair of pajamas once, you know, the old man kind with the pockets and the whole thing, right? A little pipe. And uh, I was walking out of the bathroom and I looked in the mirror. I, said, I started to laugh. I said, what? My wife said, what's so funny? I said, I'm looking at my dad. How did I, how did I become my father, you know? So, um, at any rate, there was a point to the story. Um, yeah, there was, there was very little about him that I, I wanted to emulate. And, and, and see, as I said before, in every situation, the, the more powerfully negative that it is in your life, it, it, it's either processed as hurt, it's going to morph to anger, and then eventually it moves to contempt because that person has to, at some level, die so that they can't hurt you in a way. I mean, that's kind of like maybe a, sort of our defense mechanism. And some of it is just that, where do I put this pain that I'm feeling that's unresolved? So my wife was that voice to reach out to your father. It's Father's Day. How? Happy Father's Day? This guy was a jerk. Um, you know, it's his birthday. So, hey, you know, this, you know, our, our kids are doing that. Or like, you know, I, I, if there was any contact for 15, 20 years between my father and I, he initiated it. <laughs> and I remember the 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 moment where I really, you know, what's the word I want, um, got my revenge. And, and do you guys ever play those moments in your head? Like, there's still that, that person from school where you replay the story somehow in your mind where you, you come out on top, if only I had. It, or you think, if I ever see them someplace and they need my help, I'll help them, but then I can you know, hold it over them. You know, you, you, we're 12-year-olds sometimes when we process our own emotional garbage. So uh, my, my middle son was ill, and, and you know, we didn't really talk about it with a lot of people. It was kind of serious, but we just kind of kept it to ourselves. And maybe one or two people knew about our situation, and, and uh, I, I told my brother, uh, my son's uncle, about something that was going on. And, and my brother and my dad were closer. And, uh, and so I get a phone call from my father. He says, hey, I heard about so-and-so and what's going on. And you have to understand, it, did you ever get those phone calls from exes that you're trying to get rid of? Lord knows I do. No, I mean, the <laughs> <laughs> I wish there were women. And so and the point is, is that, uh, so, so you, you follow, like, uh, you want to be, you kind of want to be kind, you know, now you can just, you know, double click your phone and go to voicemail or something, you know, and, but, 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 you know, it's, it was kind of like that dynamic, like, uh, 
Okay, what's up? Hey, what's up, Pops? What's going on? You know, da 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 da. And so he went on to say, he, he, he expressed his concern. I mean, it is his grandson. It is his blood. It is his flesh. But I was annoyed at, like, how could you possibly care? I mean, you, you did, we would invite you to come to their games. You couldn't show up. You couldn't walk a block and a half to show up for a stupid baseball game. Now you're all concerned? You follow? I mean, in my head, I was still processing all this anger. And if you had asked me, looked me in the eye and said, hey, are you upset with your dad? No. I mean, the fact that I was acting out in violence, engaged in illicit material, maybe places that were not healthy for me, all, all attempts to anesthetize the chaos and the turmoil. If you had asked me, do you think there's a problem between you and your dad? No? How could there be? He's dead to me. So then he said the phrase that finally was, as you fill up a glass with water, you know, it gets to the edge, and there, it had, water has a dynamic that it sort of holds its shape. You know how it's sort of like, kind of like a muffin top? At the edge of a, <laughs> now all of you are looking, uh, and I'm sucking in. Uh, the, it, it sort of, sort of it does like the little muffin top over a glass, and then that one more drop, and it spills over. He said the thing that made it spill over. Because you should have called me family's important. Right, some of you are feeling it like I felt it. I vomited everything up on him. How can you effing say that family's important? You didn't even keep your pants on. You understand everything. I mean, I told him everything was his fault. Everything was his fault. Family's important. And I hung up on him. And here's the part. I wish I could tell you that I wasn't a follower of Jesus at that point. I was. I wish I could tell you that I wasn't volunteering at a church. I did. I wish I could tell you I wasn't teaching Bible studies. I was. I wish I could tell you that I prayed for my dad. I didn't. I wish I could tell you that all the times I preached forgiveness to people, like, oh, you need to forgive that person. You need to you know, make that right. Da, 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 da. Never did with my father. Not once. Not once. Why? He's dead to me. So, um, what happened? Oh, yeah. Back to July 2nd, 2004. Well, he had an issue with cancer, and it came back, and remission, and came back, and finally it killed him. And so on July 2nd, 2004, when I got that phone call on a Friday, um, I'm, I, oh my gosh, so embarrassing, but this is the truth. You know, I was preparing a talk for a Sunday gathering. Flatlined emotion. Mm, nothing. Like I said, I told my brother, I'm sorry for your loss. We talked a few moments, made some, you know, talked briefly about the service we'd have to have and something else, and then hung up the phone. Went back to preparing the talk for Sunday. Nothing. So July 7th, 2004, his wife, he eventually married her after living with her for several years. Because, you know, I want to make her an honest woman. So he eventually, not bitter, so he eventually... Um, uh, they, she asked if, you know, could you do the service? Now, if you know me pretty well, I, you know, I can be moved to tears pretty quickly. There was nothing. And I do remember thinking, maybe I should feel something. So the place finally emptied. People from my family from Mexico came up. You can tell because they were still in handcuffs. And... Um, <laughs> walking in. So, uh, family and friends from... <laughs> They didn't make them run. So the, uh, 
and I have family who are believers in Mexico. This is kind of a cool story. Uh, Maria Castina, because they're all Marias. Uh, Maria Castina and others. And, you know, and, and so I had to give a talk in Spanish and English about somebody that I essentially was, I had no regard for. And so I didn't talk about him. I just told a story about Jesus and connecting with people. And I, like, like, this wasn't even going on. Everybody finally left. I had a moment alone. I remember looking at him and seeing those hands that I used to be so afraid of. They were now these bony old man hands, you know? And I thought, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Touch the coffin. No, there's nothing. So I just closed the lid, and then my uncle came out, and he opened it again, and he was, you know, he was emotionally impacted. This was his brother. And I remember thinking, oh, poor, poor, poor Onesimo. That's his brother who died. Nothing for me. Now, here's the thing that makes it stranger. It was July 7th, 2004, and um, my wife and I, you know, we were... We we're married with kids, and like many of you, you know how it's like when you have kids when you're younger and you're still kind of new in your career. You take a vacation, but what it means generally is, is you're home with, you know, it's time off with pay. You can't afford to go anywhere, right? So my wife and I never had, quote, a vacation, as some of you have experienced it, and so that was just cool. I mean, that was the choices that we had made and things. But my point is, is that that 2004 was going to be our year that... Kids were grown, we had set aside our, you know, a few nickels, and we were going to go to New York and spend a few days there. It's our 25th wedding anniversary. We're going to, you know, do something, right? So uh, what happened? Oh, yeah, so there I am uh, on this day, and, and, uh, and my father, who, didn't, who couldn't manage anything in his life, from his sexuality to his finances, there was no money to bury him. So he had another family, and so it fell on my sister, the eldest, and then me, the middle child, answers a lot of questions and then my younger brother, to pay for the funeral. So guess where our vacation money went? That dang funeral. And I remember thinking, even from the grave, you're still hurting me, even this. July 7th, the day of my father's funeral, my 25th wedding anniversary. So I'm broke, pissed off, put out, end of the funeral, come to the reception? No. My wife and I and my daughter went to Pasadena, had a cup of coffee, bought a book, felt better. So a few months later, winter, yeah, I think winter or so, driving up the five freeway, and you know, I'm thinking about work, because this is how I drive, apparently. It looks like I drive a bus, apparently. It's a very, very large car, and... Uh, so I'm driving, not I'm doing this. So I'm driving, and uh, I can only explain this as one of those moments where it was sort of like a vision because I had my one stream of consciousness going and then the second one appeared. I'm going to Lancaster, so you know I'm not in a hurry. And uh, I'm getting ready to turn on the 14th. Bam, I, I recall a memory as a small boy when I had just had a cast removed from an arm that was broken. And in the scene, I could see very clearly, it was like watching a film the older film, kind of grainy with the colors desaturated, and it's me. Now, if you go to Exodus chapter three, verse one, you can turn there, but I can tell you what happened. Moses is going on with his life, year after year. He had a moment where he was supposed to be this guy. He kind of knew he was supposed to be this guy, this liberator for um, Israel, the Hebrew slaves. 
And he decides to step into the moment maybe sooner than he should have. And he does it by his own authority, will, and power, and kills a couple of Egyptians, you know, I'm going to set them free or whatever. He ends up in exile in a dry, deserty area. And nothing about his life was shameful. I mean, he was a father, he was a husband, he was a small business owner, he was a shepherd, right? Until one day, something that was seemed to be out of the ordinary caught his attention. A burning bush. A bush that was burning but was not being consumed. And he decided to take a second look and ask the question, well, what's this all about? I'm going to go see what this is. Right? Now, here's one thing I'll tell you. This is maybe apart from the forgiveness thing. That once in a while, you're going to be moving along in your, in your thoughts, in your journey, and something seems a little bit odd, and you just zip right by it because, you know, you're texting or you're on your iPod or something. Take a second and ask, why am I having this experience? What are you trying to tell me? Because that's what I had told folks in the past, and at that moment I, I had the sense to ask, why are you bringing this memory to my mind, Father? So in this memory, I, I recall that night, that day, and I, I had not thought about it since I was six. So I don't know, 40 plus years almost. And what had happened is that, um, uh, you know, I had a cash removed. I, I, I must have done something, I'm sure of this, but, my, uh, it, but it pissed off my dad, and so he took off his, his, that big, freaking, heavy wingtips he used to wear and threw it at me, and it hit that arm. But here's the thing that caught my attention, because I remember thinking at that moment, even as a child, what I had thought as a grown man at my, at my father's funeral, it was the phrase, gosh, even this, I matter this little to him. And so I'm driving, I can see the road, but I can also see this moment. And all of a sudden, it begins to pan over, and I saw my dad. Now here's the strange part. He was in his 30s, in that reclining chair he used to have. And it's one of those moments where, where time, years and years of, of, of conversation are compressed into a split second, and you know everything. You, you know what I'm speaking of? You just get it. And it's almost as if the conversation had gone on, but you know it in a split second. And I realized I have been a horrible son to my father on earth and my father in heaven. Now, in, in part of that, in, in that nanosecond of, of understanding was I have been forgiven so much and I withheld it from this man. Now, if I, if I told you this story apart from this notion, I said, yeah, I just can't forgive him. Some of you would say, I get that. There's a number of you would say, oh, you have a right to be angry. Some of you would say, well, you know, maybe it's not healthy to let it go. For, you know, forgiveness doesn't mean letting it, you know, letting it go. And, and, uh, and, and you, know, you can forgive and not forget. But I knew that in all my attempts to sort of get past that moment, that 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 root of unforgiveness in my heart was coloring. It was like the hub of a, of a very dark, dysfunctional, broken wheel. And so what I what ended up doing is, how can I handle my anger? How can I handle this? How can, you know, and God would often talk to me about my dad. I go, what are you talking about, God? <laughs> so stupid. Just like James chapter one, you know, where if you lack wisdom, ask God. But when you ask, don't doubt. And I would, you've heard me talk about this. You know, it's not that we doubt that God answers, it's that we doubt the answer. So when God would kind of like drive the conversation back to my father, I said, I'm sorry, no, he's dead to me. I want to know how to understand my anger. I finally got it. Everything was connected. Everything. It's difficult, no, not difficult. I'm, I'm 
disparaging that. It's impossible that if you have a negative, powerful experience as a person that it doesn't affect you. I'll give you another example. How many of you, uh, how many of you like cats? Well, wait, okay, you can all get up and leave. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, I don't blame you for your choice and affection for animals. I, you know, there's, there's no shame in therapy. Get help. But uh, uh, I, I, I don't know much about cats because I don't like them. I mean, unless you're spinning them, you know, <laughs> juggling. So how many of you picture the cat? <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, so I know this about cats, even though I don't like them, that if a cat's kind of agitated and riled up, it doesn't help to hold them down. That doesn't make them calmer. I know that. Empirically know that. <laughs> and no matter how many times you hit them, no, I'm kidding. This is how negative emotions and negative experiences are, though. They, they are like this wild, untamed, feral beast from the spawn of Satan. And um, if you try to control it by holding it down, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pop out someplace else. It just will. It, that's just how it is. It's not, it doesn't matter if you want to believe a follower of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you get into the Bible. It, this is how we work. You cannot ignore those powerful negative emotions. They will, they will insist on your attention or they'll just pop out some other way. So at any rate, finally got to the place where I could actually uh, you know, see my father in this vision, this moment as I'm driving to Lancaster and say, I, I forgive you. And I'm sorry I was such an awful son. I didn't pray for you. I didn't talk to you about God. I didn't model it at any level. And then I asked God to forgive me for being that person. So, you know, life went on. Then uh, a few months later, and this has gone on for almost, a, it went on for a couple of years. A few months later, I'm driving along. I think my son was graduating from college or something was happening. Something he had done that was, you know, significant. I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to call my dad let him know. Now, it wasn't the bitterness and, and the bitter sweetness of like, oh, he's dead. I can't tell him. It was nothing like that at all. It was, I pulled over and realized, I'm free. For the first time. Now, I lived on that high for, for a while. And, and it would happen often. Father's Day was coming up. Oh, I'm going to call my dad. Oh, that's right. But rather than feeling the loss, I I'm free. I'm glad I'm free. Now, here's what I want to share with you about this about what forgiveness is or what forgiveness isn't. Here's what it isn't. Uh, forgiveness isn't necessarily justice. You know, I think some of us, we want to forgive. I think we're, well, I don't even know what I call it forgiveness. We think that if that other person would just acknowledge that they did me wrong, I would totally let it go. Lies. <laughs> you have to let it go even if they're not willing to acknowledge it. So it's, forgiveness is not justice. I'll tell you this, forgiveness is not even fair. Because it's not about fairness. Um, and it's not distance. Uh, some of us, um, whether it's emotionally, like I was doing, or geographically, you have to put distance between you and the person that hurt you. Because, you, you know, oh yeah, does, that, does this bother you anymore? No, I'm fine. I don't talk to them. They're dead to me. I never want to see them again. But I'm cool with it. You know, I'm okay. 
what I have discovered that forgiveness was is, is, is really is God serving us that we're finally able to make us human, that we don't have to carry that poison around? Listen, it's poison. And I don't know, I mean, besides the cat metaphor, hopefully you won't forget that, none of us would actually sit down to a plate of garbage or, you know, food that had been left out and you wouldn't sit there like, oh, awesome, let me, you know, none of you would do that. But, you know, metaphorically, this is what bitterness and unforgiveness is. It's continuing to eat poison and then wonder why, oh, why why am I not doing well? Um, It is the mean of grace for both parties. See, even if Matt and I have something that's really negative that happens between us, even if Matt never admits his fault, and he hasn't, um, I don't have to be bound to him. I don't have to be locked up. I, I can forgive and allow him to hopefully then receive God's grace and being able to be forgiven as well. It might be through me. It might not. But I know one thing. God has set me free. And I, I can maybe begin to be a link in the chain of events that helps Matt become free as well. It's, it's interesting in the scriptures when Jesus talks about us approaching God to connect to our Father in heaven. He says, hey man, if, if somebody has something against you, go make that right. Listen, religion, you no, know, the relationship matters more. Then in another place he says, if you come to the altar and you know you have something against somebody, go make it right. Because we get into that stupid conversation. Well, if, you know, if they would reach out to me, I would reach out. Or, you know, well, it, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually, in some levels, giving up your right to get even. It's giving up your, your claim over that person or their claim over you. It's some weird insanity to hang on to it. And, and now here's, here's what I'll ask you to do. Uh, you know, you think about this. because I, And I know you guys didn't come here to be uncomfortable. So everyone turned to a friend. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we're not doing that. But see, this story of forgiveness for me is over. I've, I've been able to move past this. And there are some great things that happened between my mom and I. They were able to get past. And just, it was liberating, all right? <clears throat> so that conversation for me, I know, is over. But for some of you, it is just beginning. Because you're asking God, why is it that I have this habit? Or why do I seem to do this? Or why am I not connecting here? da 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 Maybe, maybe, uh, uh, this is not the cure-all for everybody, but maybe there's some thing, some person that you just not forgiven and resolved, you know? And so, eyes open, still talking about it. What, what, don't shout it out. What comes to mind? Some coach at a football, you know, during hell week where they just really embarrass you in front of the team? A parent? An uncle? Uh, a boyfriend? that took everything that mattered? Uh, some girl? A kid? One of your own children? Uh, maybe it was a moment of, of just, you know, really hard belittlement or something even negative that was physical in an awful, awful way. You might have... You, you might be able to recall the event, and maybe it has, doesn't have much emotion attached to it. Maybe it does, but uh, it, it, it's, um, it would be a healthy conversation to have between you and God. Is this still something that's affecting me? Is this keeping me from becoming a human being? I'm able to forgive. <laughs> to 
to step into your full humanity and, and to be free. I wish I could tell you there was something about forgiveness that you don't like to have to pay attention to, but you have to. You have to forgive if, if you want to be free from that and if you want to experience full humanity, you're going to have to process forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you, you disparage the moment. Like, oh, it really wasn't that important. I'm okay. Sometimes, you, here's the rough part. Sometimes you almost have to almost re-experience it again. You follow? Like, that was an awful, awful thing that happened. But here's what it doesn't mean. Like, it doesn't mean shaming somebody into an apology. You made me feel like, man, 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 do you understand what you did? And then I'll like guilting, guilting an apology out of somebody. That's not forgiveness. Come on. That's exacting your pound of flesh. So, um, let me encourage you, as we've kind of ended this whole heroes and villains story, to pursue forgiveness aggressively. My wife and I have this thing we often tell married couples, you know, that sometimes communication is overrated and forgiveness is underrated. Every one of those people they just want to talk it to death. You know, I, get, I don't know what's the activator in me. Like, can we just get to the point? <laughs> Give me the reader's digest version. Did I do something wrong here? Because I, I, I am sorry. I mean that. But it sounds like now you just want to exact your pound of flesh. Pursue forgiveness. As we model Christ, in light of what we've been given, in light of how much we've been forgiven, how, you know, how can we not forgive others? And if you can't, that's, that's at least an honest place to start if you don't even want to, but have that conversation with God as well. I don't want to. I don't think I have to. I prefer not to. So you're going to have to help me become that person who wishes to forgive because right now I don't really want to. So that's why I can say that it was a beautiful day when my father died because it was the chain of events that unleashed that helped me get to the place of forgiving my father. Thank you for listening to this production by Mosaic Whittier, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information about Mosaic gatherings and events, please visit mosaic.org.